ask you to join me in Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. And comprised in these 11 verses is where Jesus officially calls Peter, James, and John, and Andrew most likely to follow him, to be his disciples, and more importantly, to become fishers of men. He says that to them in verse 10, from now on you will catch men. You can also read of this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, Mark chapter 6, excuse me, Mark chapter 1, verse 16 and following. And some have asked the question, are those parallel accounts or are those precursors to what happens here? Quite frankly, I don't know the answer to that question. That is either Mark and Matthew's condensed versions of what happens here, or perhaps this is something altogether different. And that's the way the majority of people view it. Those earlier conversations are Christ's invitation to these men to follow him more closely, this one being their actual commissioning as disciples to Go out and now catch men. And in that we all follow. All believers are called to be evangelists. Every one of us. There is no greater work to which we can be called. And again, it is calling that we all receive. There are three aspects to the verses we're going to read. First, we're going to see Jesus' willingness to teach the multitudes in less than desirable circumstances. Then we're going to see the miracle itself in this passage of Jesus commanding Peter to launch out again into the deep and let down his net. And then we'll see, lastly, Jesus calming Peter's fear and then telling him what he will be doing from now on. And then his response, just like Matthew last week, he forsook everything and followed Jesus. So let's read the first 11 verses. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night. And caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come along and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you take this familiar account, make it new to us. Help us to profit from it. Help us to see Jesus for who he is. A compassionate teacher, a miracle worker, and one who commissions his disciples into that same work for which he came. We pray your help in it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So beginning there in verse 1. I want you to see how willing Jesus was to be pressed upon by the multitude and yet to teach them not in a grand theater, not in a comfortable auditorium, but sitting in a boat, teaching them the things of God. And I thought it interesting as we look at these first few verses and even back up a bit into the tail end of the fourth chapter. How the content of Jesus' ministry was the word of God. That sounds simplistic, but yet it's really profound. He being the word of God himself. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. That's how John begins his gospel. Even the God-man has no other subject, he has no other content, but to expound the scriptures which speak of himself. There's nothing new. Jesus simply takes the word of God and makes it known. If you go back up to verse 42 of chapter 4, it says, When it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. The crowd sought him and came to him, and he tried to, keep, tried to keep him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. He was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. We know from other places in the Gospels that Jesus' teaching was so compelling. Even at times to the scribes and the Pharisees. Their response to Jesus preaching on one occasion was, No man ever spoke like this. The scriptures tell us that he taught them as one having authority. He didn't speak in the dry, monotone, mundane tones of the scribes and Pharisees. His teaching was alive. He was expounding the truth concerning himself. And that's what we see him doing here in the beginning. And all of this, mind you, is preparation for what he will do and then say to Simon. He is referred to as Simon at the beginning, Simon Peter in the middle, and then again as Simon at the end of this parable. This is not a parable, this is just an account. So notice the content of Jesus' ministry. Verse 42, he says, I must preach the kingdom of God. 
And what is it anyway that the multitudes are pressing about him to hear in verse 1? They're pressing around him to hear the word of God. And then, after he secures the boat from Simon, he sits down in it and teaches the multitude concerning himself. If this is the ministry of the Son of God, doesn't it follow that we can't expand upon it? Doesn't it follow that we need not invent anything new? We need not give ourselves to something seemingly more interesting. If you're a Christian, if the Spirit of God is indwelling your heart, you should have an appetite. And granted, it's one we have to cultivate. It's one that we have to attend to. But there should be something in us of an appetite for the Word of God. And since that is true, there should be an accompanying distaste for anything that is not based upon the Word of God. I have nothing else to say. Lord willing, you have nothing else you want to hear. And the Word of God simply opened red in a real, sincere attempt, however weak or feeble it may be, to preach from it. It's the mark of a Christian. And in so doing, we are following the pattern of the Lord. So this is how this begins. But notice how after Jesus teaches the multitudes from the boat, verse 4 says, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, he goes from addressing the masses. We don't know the number. But once he is done there, he turns and addresses this one man of whom we know so much in the scriptures. So much has been told us about Peter and his dealings with the Lord or the Lord's dealings with him. And this is what he says to Simon. Launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for a catch. How does Peter respond? He says, Master, we've toiled all night. It's interesting and important to recognize that the word toil here means to toil, labor to the point of exhaustion. So this has been their, this is what has occupied their time all night long. They had let down their nets, drawn them up again, let down their nets, drawn them up again. And by Peter's own admission, he says, we've caught nothing. We've done this over and over again. But then the next word of Peter is also of note. He says, nevertheless... At your word, I will let down the net. And I think we can gather from what Peter says here, only those who know Christ as master have the word nevertheless in their vocabulary. Only those who know Christ as Lord, which would be a translation of the word master, 
can simply obey his word when it goes against all reason. Nothing about what Jesus just told Peter to do made any sense, earthly speaking. It was not according to common sense. And what's implied here, but not expressly said, the nets had been washed and put away. Peter and his companions were ready to go home and rest, sleep. They're exhausted. But yet after something about what Jesus had been saying to this crowd and what Peter had learned about Jesus in previous contact. This is not the first time that Jesus and Peter have come together. This is not the first time they have exchanged conversation. But this is fairly early in their relationship. It's important to note that by when we get to how Peter reacts to this miracle. This is fairly early in his exposure to Jesus. And so Jesus has been teaching the multitude about the kingdom. He's been preaching the word to them. No doubt he had been speaking of himself. Peter's been hearing all of this. And now Jesus turns to him, looks him in the eye and says, Peter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Makes no sense. Peter was in peril of appearing a fool. I think it wouldn't be wrong of us to see Peter as a man among men, a fisherman among fishermen, someone who was well respected, someone who had the eye of those around him. What would others think of him if he does this? And it's by the word nevertheless, we're led to believe he just simply doesn't care, right? So this is what he does. He says, at your word, I will let down the net. I wonder if any of you have had a moment like this to where you have heard through the word of God. By his spirit. I'm not talking about something mystical. I'm not talking about a vision. I'm not even talking about a dream. But from the word of God. The spirit of God has taken that word. And, and driven it into your heart. And it's as if you can. Sense and even know. That the Lord is asking you. To do something. Beyond reason. We have to be careful. In times like that. We, we oftentimes. Uh, Accuse the Lord of things that he's never told us to do. But there are times in a believer's life when we know through the word, through our study of it, the Holy Spirit ministering the word to us, that the Lord is asking us to do something that just does not make any common earthly sense. I've had times like that. Sometimes I've failed in my response. Other times I've been the recipient of much grace and enabled to act on what I felt the Lord was leading me to do. Regardless of how we look at this, we can say that there is a great measure of grace here dispensed to Peter. 
There is a great measure of grace dispensed that results in a willingness to do that which just seems foolish. We're in verse 6. And when they had done this, that's a very simple, short way of recording the obedience of Peter and James and John. And most would say, though he's not named here, Peter's brother, Andrew. When they had done this, what's the result? They caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So there's several details that are given here to impress upon us the magnitude of what Christ had done. This is the first. The net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners and other boats to come. They came and filled both boats. That's the second detail that is given of the greatness of what Jesus has done. They filled both boats so that they began to sink. You, you can picture this in your minds, can't you? This is not a hard, hard thing to imagine. The boats were beginning to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, this is what he says. After he fell to his knees, he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is the pattern that we see throughout Scripture. When the Lord shows his glory, what's the proper response of mankind? The greatest act of humility, right? Isn't that what we see in Isaiah 6? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. What is the response? Woe is me. I am completely and altogether undone. John MacArthur summarizes this point well. He says, The very point at which the sinner feels the most alienation is the point at which the Savior seeks reconciliation. And what he means by that is Peter feels so far from his Master and his Lord in comparison of holiness, justness. He feels the weight of his sin. And very often we see in the scriptures when Jesus teaches us something about ourselves by showing his glory. That ever been true for you? Jesus teaches us something of ourselves when he reveals himself. That's exactly what he's done here for Peter. Peter falls to his knees and he utters a prayer that I am certain he was so glad that the Lord didn't answer. What if the Lord had answered this prayer? Well, first of all, it wouldn't have corresponded with who he is, right? But this shows us the magnitude of how this, how this miracle impressed Peter. There's a principle here that we need not miss. The more we know of Jesus and his glory, his power, his dominion, the more we know of Him as the Son of God, the Creator, the Savior, the Redeemer. The more we know of Him as the one who shed His blood for us, who went into the grave, was resurrected, raised into glory, ascended into heaven. The more we know of Him, the more we will see our own sinfulness. 
The more we see him for who he is, the more he will allow us to see ourselves for who we are. That should that truth should work in us a real desire to be close to him. To see him for who he is. Even when the response is the response of Peter. Depart from me. I'm sinful. O Lord. Jesus does not answer that the way Peter had asked it. But notice what he does do in verse 9. After we're given the detail that Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And also were James and John the sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon. Do not be afraid. Peter says, Lord, leave me alone. I'm not worthy to be in the same boat with you. Jesus' next word to him was, do not be afraid. And then he commissions him by saying, from now on, you will catch men. From this time forward, you will and your companions be fishers of men. Now here's what's happened as we survey this this whole scene. Jesus, as his normal pattern was, whether it's a parable or whatever it may have been, he taught in the most plain language, using the most plain illustrations, using things from everyday life. So he takes these men, four of them, fishermen, And by the end of it, he teaches them and tells them what he is going to do with them, expect from them, and what he is even commanding them to do in figurative language that they cannot misunderstand. You're going to go out now and catch men. How would they do that? Well, we're going to see here in just a moment how Peter catches men. And he uses the same model, if we can call it that, of his Savior. What was Jesus doing here before? Preaching. What was he preaching? The Word of God. What was he bearing witness to? The Kingdom of God. When we fast forward to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, we see Peter catch... About 3,000 souls in one fell swoop. One letting down of the net, so to speak. And this great ingathering, this multitude of souls brought to the Lord. What brought that about? What did Peter do? What did he say? If you remember, you can go back and read... Acts chapter 2, it's nothing but a long sermon based upon Old Testament truth concerning Jesus being the Christ, proving that he was the Messiah, proving that he had come to redeem his people, proving all of these things so that people increasingly were being cut to the heart as they considered all of this truth. And by the end of it, they're asking him, What can we do to be saved? 
Peter had become a great fisher of men. And he caught men for the Lord using the word and the truths of the gospel. I want you to look at verse 11. This is the end of this account of Luke. The language in the original doesn't come across in English well at all here in verse 11. It's fairly mundane. It just says, New King James says, when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. The language is really much more graphic than that. Some have translated it, when they had driven their boats into the ground. Not just, you know, pulled them up on, on the land and walked away from them. But when they had brought them hard and fast into the ground, what did they do with them? They forsook all. The boats were filled with fish, so much so that they were about to sink. This is the greatest catch that any of them had ever seen. And probably Peter, Andrew, James, and John were at the height, the the pinnacle of their career as fishermen. They were mature. They knew what they were doing. They had their own boats. They were filled with strength. And yet, they forsook it all and followed Jesus. I want you to, to skip over to chapter 18 with me. Something of interest here concerning what Peter says or what Luke says of them. We looked at this several weeks ago. Jesus and the rich young ruler. How he comes to Jesus and he says to him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You skip down through that conversation. At the end of it, after he turns away sorrowful because he had great possessions... Looking at Luke 18, 24, Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, what does he say? Verse 27, or excuse me, 28. Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus requested of the rich young ruler, go sell it all, give it to the poor. Then he makes the observation that it is difficult, near impossible for a rich man to come. And he makes this great statement. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Wasn't that just the point of what we looked at in Luke chapter 5? 
Peter says, Lord, Master, we've toiled all night long. And we have nothing to show for it. But at your word, we will do just what you said. We'll launch out, let down the net. And lo and behold, they caught a great number of fish. The things impossible with men are possible with God. And then what does Peter say? I don't know if this event is still fresh in his mind. Surely it is. I don't know if this is on his mind when he says these words or not. But certainly in his heart, he remembers this event in Luke chapter 5. And he says, see, we've left all. And we have followed you. Here's the important point, whether we're talking about Peter here in Luke. Last week we saw Matthew, the same thing. The Lord Jesus will never be in our debt. What do I mean by that? What he calls you and I to give up. Or what he takes away. He will give back. Isn't that what he said in Luke 18, 29? Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left. He runs through this list. Parents, brothers, wife, children. Houses. For the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more. Notice, in this present time. And in the age to come. Eternal life. What Jesus calls you to, he will equip you for and provide what you need in the exercise of the task. You believe that? What he calls you to, he will equip you for and provide what you need to execute the task. You've heard said so often, you've read this so often, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. That proves to be true so often in our lives, doesn't it? And again, it seems contrary to what we would call common sense. But yet this is the way the Lord works. Made no sense to let down the net again. The best fishing time had passed, right? But yet Peter in obedience. Let me draw your attention back to what he says. Master, we've toiled all night, caught nothing, nevertheless, at your word. Obedience to Jesus always bears fruit. Obedience to Christ will always result in your benefit. I'm not saying in a worldly way. I'm not saying that your bank account will immediately get full. But I can say that obedience to Christ always brings blessing. Certainly in the spiritual realm, 
Certainly through further sanctification. That's what we read there out of Luke. There's two, two spheres in which Jesus says, you shall receive many times more in this present time. And don't, don't fall prey to the contemporary mindset that if Christ is blessing you in this day, it's going to be through health, wealth, and prosperity. Some of the greatest gifts that Christ gives us in this day and time are the understanding of truths that will bear us up through difficulty. Calling us to remember the truths that he has taught us, shown us, bringing them back to our minds so that when we walk through those dark seasons or whatever it may be, we have something there that is real substantial and able to give us a firm foundation and footing and to shore us up to go through difficult season. That's at least part of what it means. Shall receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So that's what's held out before all of us as believers, right? In the age to come, this is the hope that is steadfast and sure that can't be shaken. This is to the hope. This is the hope that every struggling believer can look to in any season of life and immediately be filled again with rest and assurance of the promises of God. Regardless of what you're going through, be it sickness, whatever it is, as a believer, you can look to that hope which is held out before you that you will, in the age to come, receive or inherit eternal life. So let's go back to Luke 5, and I'll finish up here with Peter. And Jesus says to him in verse 10, do not be afraid. If it doesn't come across to us in verse 8 just how filled with fear Peter is at what Jesus has done, then certainly the first words of Jesus to him after the event give us the clue, right? This is, a, this is one of the great miracles of Christ. So often we skip over this and see the raising of Lazarus or the walking on the water or some other great miracle. But here, this is nonetheless a miracle on par with those what we might consider the greater miracles of Christ, if we can even make a distinction. Right? A miracle is a miracle. But yet some of them display a greater measure of the glory of God. Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. This is what is encouraging to me. He doesn't say to Peter. From now on you might catch a few. He doesn't say. Depending on your skill level. Peter. You may catch a few men. He just simply says to him, from now on you will catch men. 
And then we fast forward through what we know about Peter. Was Peter perfect? Nope. Did Peter fail? Yes. Did he fail greatly? Yes. Did he desert Christ, forsake Christ, deny Christ? Yes to all of those. But this, this statement through all of that is not negated. It's not rescinded. It's not taken away from him. Throughout all of that failure, we see at the end of John's Gospel how Christ restored Peter. In a sense, a recommissioning. Then we've already spoken about Acts chapter 2. But then what about from Acts chapter, Acts chapters 1 through about verse 10, chapter 10. All of those things that Peter does as the apostle of the Lord. And then we have the two letters of Peter, first and second. And then history tells us, though it's not recorded for us in scripture, that Peter died a crucified death upside down. So as not to detract from the glory with which his own master and Lord died. What Jesus says stands. What Jesus says of you and I stands. Throughout all of our failure, throughout all of our weakness, throughout all of our inability, what Jesus says of us as believers will come to pass. Why can we say that with certainty? Because it's all bound up with who he is not who we are. My hope is steadfast and secure because of who he is, not because of my exploits or lack of them, not because of my ability or inability. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. We're a recipient of those, and we reap the great benefit. Of being united to him. So here to conclude. Jesus preaches the word. Peter hears the word preached. Jesus says a specific word to Peter. Peter obeys even though it seemed a ludicrous thing to do. And the great blessing of Christ fell upon him. In two ways. First in the present he had all the fish. And then secondly, he was commissioned for the rest of his life. A commission that he answered by forsaking everything and following Jesus. That's the same thing he expects of me and you. Forsake all and follow him. It doesn't mean you can't have things. It just means they can't have you. And you follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this remembering of the great miracle that you performed to establish Peter's faith, to declare that you are the Son of God. Father, help us to 
have the same response as this man. We know that he only responded the way he did because of the grace you had given. So, Lord, we pray for the same. We pray that you would help us to some degree or another to be fishers of men. That we would be quick and ready to speak of Jesus. That you would use us for your own glory. That you would bring a harvest in your time. We pray, Lord, that you would do so in all of these things in such a way that you receive the praise and honor for them. We pray and ask it in Christ's name. Amen.